Good morning, worst of all possible worlds. Brian here with you, and we got another episode ahead of us in this podcast of nightmares. Ooh, I love this pod. Love it like you might love Goku just when it looks like he's about to pop if he eats another bite, but he can always take another bite. Sure can. Every new appearance by Josh on Trash Future means a hundred new arrivals. But only half those gonks will survive Ong's hat. And that's if they can even tell us apart. Wait, hold on. Survive Ong's hat? (laughs) Yeah, it's deadly. Uh, And why do these peeps come to Toowapu? Well, that's to be treated to bits by the tiniest country boy. And what is this? A leather bar. The bigger the swing, the bigger the bounty, kids. Or so they say. But you can only be a top-tier listener for so long. The faster you listen, the faster you burn out. That's not going to be good for our Patreon numbers. <laughs> if you don't have your financial situation changed first, Podcast Legends, you know where you'll find most of them? Other podcasts. Hey. <laughs> matters not where you come from. Matters not if you're Dutch. What matters here is the what you what in the worst of all possible worlds, the podcast of nightmares. So many possible Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast that chooms on your BD till you flatline. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Brian. I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. It was really great hearing you laugh at all of your own jokes in the opening there, AJ. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was Brian's delivery. I liked it. I I I liked liked that that you turned the noun chum into a verb. Yeah. Remember? I misused all of the I'm slang. I'm speed dialing Mike Pondsmith as we speak. Oh, he's going to be so mad. Wait, does anybody else remember Choom Gang? Yes, I do Obama, remember Choom Gang. Was it in his yearbook, right? They they were all said that they were part of the Choom Gang. Wait a minute. Is that what it is? Were, I just always knew it as like some... cyberpunk fans? No, is that why? Barack Obama, if I recall correctly, in his <laughs> high school yearbook, like his little quote or whatever was like shout outs to Choom Gang. Was that that was like a reference or people they played all, it as though it was a reference to the fact that he was smoking oh, weed totally or was. something. They were, all, yeah. they were all definitely they were, smoking they were weed together. They were chuming. Sure, they were chuming. They were yeah. chuming in their Choom cave. Yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Choom cave, everybody. Uh, it's our, it's our newest podcast. Our Choom, our Choom cave. Sequel to, to Squid Game. Oh, uh, Choom, Choom Game. game. Our Choom game is strong today because we are here yet again for another case study in the pop culture of a dying empire. Wow. And today we are talking about a game that asks the question, what does that dying empire look like when taken to its most cartoonishly extreme version of itself? And also, what if you brought a katana to a gunfight? Yeah, we're finally talking about CD Projekt Red's 2020 action RPG, Cyberpunk 2077. That is right. We are talking about Cyberpunk 2077 by CD Projekt Red. So I was going to say yes. Projekt, yeah. Projekt Red, I'm sorry. Within the company, I they, did they, hear yeah, that they, they do, do refer to it as CD Projekt Red, but yes, it is in, in Polish, it would be CD Projekt Red. I, uh, I CD personally... CD, CD Projekt. I prefer a DVD <laughs> project. San Diego, actually. So or that's a Blu-ray what? project. Oh, oh the sure, Blu-ray project. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, CD Project Red, 
Ha is named such because they were founded when the CD-ROM became a viable format in Poland, mm, essentially, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Poland was a little bit behind the times with the computer stuff. Once we get around to 1994, this is also sort of the widespread adoption of CD-ROM for a lot of games because you can store so much more information. I played Myst. Yeah. And in also the in- The prequel to Rivet? That's <laughs> the very same. Also in 1994, that's when Poland got copyright laws. Oh. That didn't exist in the, in the socialist era. And so while they were liberalizing, uh, then they got copyright laws. And so these two guys in Poland who were just- copying shit on their own back mm. in the floppy days where you could get relatively cheap floppy disks. Oh, I love my uh, floppy days. Suddenly had to Come on. <laughs> suddenly had to do are like you, legitimate AG, business. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. the flow. AG, are mm -hmm. you going to be like this the whole time? Yes. Yep. These guys, what they ended up doing instead of just getting games into Poland, were now getting involved in the process of localization. Yeah. And this is a big deal. So what CD Projekt did that was not normal was that they did the localization themselves and then handled distribution. Wow. Right yeah. before a studio does. And, and now a studio does its own localization. When studios localize, they are typically hiring some kind of outside contractor. Sure. And if you go outside of the Western European languages, it becomes more expensive mm. and it becomes more expensive for an audience that's going to pay less money overall for your product. You can't right. sell Baldur's Gate for the same amount in Poland that you do in England, Canada, the U.S., Mexico, France, Spain, whatever. Right. And Baldur's Gate is where this started. They, oh, okay. they wrote a Polish translation of the game. They hired Polish actors to do the voice acted bits. Some of them, I guess, were relatively well-known actors. Sure. And they assumed all the risk themselves. And they went from selling, I don't know, a thousand games, a couple thousand games with the stuff that they were bringing over to selling in the tens of thousands. So the, at this time, the project was no longer floppy. It was quite firm. <laughs> That's right. Mm. Yeah. Firm like a CD. Firm and red. So once they get to the 2000s, they've done some localization. They've, done, they've had some really big success selling things in Poland. And now they get into development. So they take a series of Polish novels. Yes. Uh, that we all know today that we probably haven't read. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, I've tossed a coin there a time or two. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because it was The Witcher. Yes. These were very, very big 90s Polish fantasy novels. And uh, there had been an attempt to make a video game of it before. There was a Polish movie. There was a Polish TV show that weren't very good. And this team of localizers then decided that they were going to publish their own game with a team of 20. That changed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did they think this was? One light bulb? Oh, <laughs> God. Probably. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I'm from Sede Pro Project Red, right? I'm listening. Yeah. I'm listening to this podcast. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm really jiving with this. Like, you know, they seem to be really talking us up. This is going so well. And then immediately into a light bulb joke. <laughs> immediately into a light bulb. We lost Poland. We've lost fucking Poland. Yeah, we have. What are you going to do? Call the Pope on us? <laughs> We'll get to a reason why are that's you gonna, very funny are you, later. Are you going to call your official king, Jesus Christ, who, according to the laws of Poland, sits upon your throne? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's much higher than that. Also, he's not the king of Poland. He's the king of the United States of America. That's God's chosen right. country. No, no. Look, as the Catholic in the room, I have to say that Jesus is entombed inside of the Pope's chair, which is called the Holy See. Mm. And you can't make a proclamation in the Catholic Church unless you're sitting on that seat of power. Okay, I'm not a Catholic, but I don't think that's what Catholics believe. That is. 
look it up. That Jesus Christ is entombed in no, the chair. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, that's, 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 that's not that's true. true. I really that like. Is, that I really like exactly the idea that Catholics <laughs> deny the resurrection entirely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah. The apostles took the body and they it's stuffed just, him in a chair. It's just in that chair. And we just we ever, sit on him now. It's why if you ever walk into that chamber, you just hear a very muffled help me. <laughs> Oh, so you don't deny the resurrection. You just deny the ascension. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the worst of all possible worlds. And we do our theological jokes because that's who we are. Unfortunately, you're stuck with us. Love that, Lord. Unless you choose to stop subscribing. Don't, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we need you so bad. So in 2007, with a team of uh, somewhere between like 80 and 100 people, they yep. finally get The Witcher 1 released. And it's. It does pretty well. Yeah. Like, it's not a super well-loved game. It's not a super uh, successful game, but certainly by the standards of what CD Projekt had been doing before that point, yeah. huge, huge change. Right. Like, they, they go from this to being both a distributor and a developer. Of course, you have heard of their company that they use to sell games, GOG. Right. Yes. Good old games. You might not know that that's CD Projekt, but that is them. And that's sort of the corner that they've been able to hold on this other part of the market where they sell old computer games and they've navigated all sorts of very bizarre contract language. Oh, yeah. And There's like, a, is it No Clip that did this amazing yeah, documentary, yeah. which we'll link in the show notes? Just the, it, it goes, it involves going to so many strange like holding companies <laughs> and places that you would never imagine owning the IP for these things. And they, negotiate and they're like hey would you like to make a little money we'll cut you a deal you know you'll get royalties and that's basically free money for you from this ip yeah. that you're otherwise <laughs> sitting on uh and now you get a return on your investment and gog is a really great service it, yeah. it continues to be a great service it's been one of the best uh forces for video game preservation yes. honestly yes yeah um, far more than steam yeah so because of The Witcher and because of good old games, this has become a, a very big company. They're not yet publicly traded, but they're headed that way. By 2012, they released The Witcher 2, which is able to capitalize on the fact that, yeah, people did have some pretty positive memories of The Witcher 1. It sold okay. Witcher 2 is a massive success. There were a couple of high-profile critical reviews. Uh, I think 1UP was one of them that were not super positive. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, this was like one of those game of the year type games. This, this yeah. went across the board, getting those, those nines and those tens and selling like millions and millions of copies. Well, and something that CD Projekt is becoming known for at this point is mm -hmm. the relative maturity of their storytelling. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the idea of like finally a game for adults, a role playing game that truly allows you to play your role in whatever way you want and isn't willing to back away from more adult stuff, which in practice just means like tits and swears. But 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 uh, sometimes mm. there's just more of a frankness around mm -hmm. sex. Uh, the first Witcher game, you could romance characters and I think it was like a fade to black and then you'd get like a little playing card that has their tits on it. Right. Uh, <laughs> not in the initial American release. That was kind of a thing was that like the later special edition uncensored some of those things. But like Witcher 2 has sex scenes. Right. This is. This is relatively novel, right? Right. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas had those. Uh, they weren't in the final game, but you could hack them in. And then that was very famously a problem for the industry. Right, like, right, right, right. But Witcher 2 is fine. Yeah. Um, yep. And, 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 and that sort of paved the way for other games like uh, uh, Dragon Age and Baldur's Gate sequels and things like that. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I think is very unique about those particular sex scenes is that they're not afraid to show Bush. 
Yeah. Like, like there is pubic hair mm-hmm. in all of them. And they're much more, I guess, free to show genitalia in a yeah. way that I think a lot of other games in the West certainly like shy away from. Yeah. Including cyberpunk <laughs> outside of the opening menu. Uh, <laughs> so they start off strong. Yeah. So then 2015 rolls around. This is a pretty fast turnaround for games of this era. Yeah. Um, Witcher 3 comes out. And it gets explosively good reviews. Yeah. It sells 1.5 million in pre-orders and in four years sells 28 million copies. As of now, they have sold 50, five, zero million Holy. copies of The Witcher 3. Yeah. Then, of course, there is a Netflix series. There is the spinoffs. We have Gwent yeah. and then Gwent expansions. People are really, really nuts for that Gwent stuff. Yeah, yeah. Gwent uh, in its <laughs> sequel, Gwent 2. <laughs> Gwentier. But Witcher 3 is very buggy on release. Yeah. It kind of gets a pass for it even then because it it plays so well. And GOG is known for doing some big overhaul patches for free. Right. Uh, But they also take all of their other people working on, say, maybe the other game that their studio is in pre-production for Mm -hmm. to work over on The Witcher 3 through the, like the next year and change to yeah. make also like DLC and everything. And, and the DLC for Witcher three, I have to say is uh, it's so much better than the main game. Like they yeah. really, it, it seems like this is a studio that really refines itself in the DLC and it finds its games in the DLC. I wonder if part of that is just veering a little bit away from the open world, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and making it a little bit more streamlined a story. I yeah. think, I think there is some truth in that. And yeah. it's certainly true. For their next big project. Yes. So their their next big Seidei project, mm. if you will. I, I might. In 2012, they announced that they are going to work on an adaptation of an old tabletop role-playing game. Yes. That is just called Cyberpunk. Yes. It is Mike a whole Hanshin. genre yeah. that has been uh, adapted into a tabletop game. And it is made by a man named Mike Pondsmith, who is a nerd. Uh, I think is sort yeah. of the best way to describe him. He uh, he is a nerd's nerd. If you if you listen to our episode a month ago about Neuromancer, we explained that William Gibson was absolutely not a nerd. He was an old hippie who right. thought, "Wow, computers, that's fucking crazy," and right. thought about it in very um, political and thought about it in very psychedelic terms, mostly psychedelic, and then that shows through the writing of that yeah. book. And yeah. it, but this book and and this genre that's growing around the the works of Gibson and and other writers catches on with computer nerds. Yeah. And so this is the next generation. This is a, this is that was the early '80s. This is the late '80s that Mike Pondsmith is working on this game. And Pondsmith is not only a computer nerd; he is someone who has worked in the computer gaming world. Yes, he has making manuals and artwork and design oh. for California Pacific. Uh, which was making computer games at this time. And then, you know, he played a game of D&D and it changed his life. And, Much and, like Warren Spector. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and his first tabletop game was actually like based on mech anime. So he was also an 80s anime guy, which is a very rare breed very of man. Very specific kind, kind of yeah. nerd, too. And it's also interesting that he moved into the world of tabletop. You know, uh, Mike Pondsmith is a black man and the world of tabletop, you know, has not been particularly welcoming to creators of color. It is very unique that he moves into the world and is immediately sort of as successful uh, as he is once cyberpunk is released. People mm-hmm. flock to this thing and they love, love, love this game. As someone who has played a lot of D&D, I will say that it is it is very refreshing to have a game where there isn't 
bonuses based on race. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a thing that Wizards of the Coast finally started getting rid of in, uh, uh, let me see here, the year 2022. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it is, it is take, it is not a world that is but very mythical races, AJ. There's definitely no parallels there to the real world that, you know, they're drawing from J.R.R. Tolkien, who had no thoughts whatsoever. On race. Not more a like, single one. More yeah. like Grand Wizards of the Coast. Oh, hey, <laughs> boy. We just lost that sponsorship. So were you guys um, familiar with Cyberpunk, the tabletop game, really before CD Projekt and everything? No, no, not at all. Okay. It, was, it was something that really was not on my radar. And it's something that if you ask a lot of tabletop players, it's not... A particularly preferred method of play yeah yeah i've been talking about that with a couple of friends of mine who do this stuff and yeah. they're like yeah the interlock system is a little eh but what's interesting is i've i had heard of it i i, I don't play tabletop games i didn't have friends who played tabletop games i didn't have friends growing up and uh, <laughs> so this is kind of the third string because the first string is just DD Right. It just eclipses everything else in terms of success and market share. Yeah. Then you have like, I don't know, Shadowrun, yeah. Call, of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu, Star yeah. Wars, the role playing game. Yep. Sure. Um, and then you have the next tier, which is stuff like because I, I had heard of it. It did have enough of a presence that it somehow reached me. But yeah, it doesn't. The fans that it does have, I will say, having spent time online reading the forums, fucking love it oh they love and they it so really much. love the the story and they love the characters that have existed throughout the many years that that these games have encapsulated well yeah. there's something interesting about trying to systematize sort of a cyberpunk world into a role-playing game right yeah because right. there are all of these different thematic elements that have come in from these different pieces of media right yeah. whether you're yeah. talking about something like neuromancer or blade runner or um yeah. philip k dick do androids dream of electric sheep like all of that, right? Yeah. Hardwired, uh, the Walter John Williams novel was like mm. the main inspiration for cyberpunk. Sure. It's funny, Potsmouth had not read Neuromancer until no. long after creating cyberpunk. Yeah. Wow. Which is very interesting because clearly 2077 is drawing from Neuromancer in right. a very, very explicit yeah. way. But I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make here is just that like, it's one thing to have these stories and these aesthetics. It's another thing entirely to take that and turn it into an actual systematized method of gameplay. Yes. Um And... As we get into talking more about 2077, I'll be interested to talk about the ways that those mechanics work. Now, yeah. is Cyberpunk 2077 based mechanically on the mechanics of the Cyberpunk uh, RPG no. in any meaningful way? No, okay. not really. Well, well, in terms of character customization, there is stuff in there, like the way that you add implants into your body. That yes. is That is 100% from the game itself. But the implant aspect of cyberpunk the tabletop game is also linked to a, a sort of humanity metric mm -hmm. where you go more insane the more implants you have you get more you cyber reach. psychosis as oh, you go along. yeah and so that's kind of like in prey with the uh yeah the, when you get more typhon uh powers the yeah. less and less yeah. human you appear yeah, and yeah. in cyberpunk uh if you go fully cyber psycho you become an npc you you it, it's like you've died, but the game master takes over your character oh, who cool. can then show up as a cyber psycho. Yeah. Um, and then you have to, you know, make a new character. There's also rolling for like backstory, yeah. which I think is interesting. Well, then you can do that in D and D as well. Like you can, oh, okay. you can roll if you want, if you don't want to like come up with a whole backstory for yourself. Yeah. They have like pre, so there's stuff you where you, yeah, you develop relationships and stuff like that. And then that can be like, yeah, this person comes to you with a mission. It's your ex-girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. I was talking to a friend who's played this game. Uh, he said the central mechanic of cyberpunk 2020 is debt. 
Yeah. You are always on the hook for something. If you have implants, you have to buy your medications. You have to maintain them. You have to pay for your internet. You have to pay for your rent. You ha- There's all this money that has to keep moving. Yeah. So you have to keep doing more and more extreme things. Right. Um, another way I heard it described by someone on a forum is that D&D is about unlikely people all coming together and becoming grand heroes. And Cyberpunk 2020 is about super competent professionals barely scraping by. So Hey there, you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of The Worst of All Possible Worlds. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this, head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash worst of all. And you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes. And if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. Hope to see you there.